0: Welcome back to the podcast. I'm super excited to have one of my former clients, Jamie, on today. So Jamie, tell us a little bit about yourself and your work.
1: Hi, my name is Jamie Ellis. I call myself a Recovering Corporate America Executive. I am now an entrepreneur and small business owner. I am an executive coach specializing in career transitions. I'm also in the process of writing a book and renovating a fixer upper house in the mountains. So that's what my life looks like now.
0: That's very exciting things happening from your life right now. I'm like, we're going to get to every single one of those because I am, like I told you, reading a novel about the exact place that you're renovating a house. And I was like, this is synchronicity. So I have to hear about that. Let's actually touch super quickly on the recovering corporate executive part of it. Because I know a lot of people are business owners. A lot of us have been business owners for quite a while, but I know a lot of other people are either in the process of transitioning out of a corporate job or have just done that. What prompted you to make that move?
1: So I had climbed into leadership roles pretty quickly in my career. And then I wanted to find new ways to challenge myself. So I jumped into the startup scene in New York and worked at a couple of different software startups. I was leading marketing initiatives for these companies. I was working 12, 13, 14, 15 hour days, nonstop, not taking breaks, not taking care of myself. And after a few years, I reached a very severe stage of burnout. I had some pretty horrendous chronic health issues that were stemming from the amount of stress that I had put myself under. The decision to make the leap wasn't necessarily mine. I ended up losing my job, but it was one of those huge blessings that just opened up so many opportunities and paths in front of me. Once that decision was made for me, then I could see that I had other options.
0: Yeah. Okay. Tell me a little bit about that transition then into being your own boss. And how long had you been in business before we started
1: working together? I think that will be interesting for people to know. Their initial transition was over three years ago, but I launched my new business two and a half years ago. So
0: what habits did you have to break that you felt like you were bringing from the corporate world into your business? Because I think that'll be a good segue then into joining the program.
1: Sure. So I feel like corporate America scrambled my brain a little bit. I was dealing with a lot of notification fatigue. I was dealing with a lot of trying to simplify too many pieces that were moving at once, trying to tackle things that were not realistic. And so one of the first things that I had to really get a hold of was my inability to plan how much time something would take me and my inability to sit and focus on that one thing at a time. I was Getting pinged on Slack every 13 seconds from all over the world because I worked at a global company all times of the day. And I had to figure out ways to put up those barriers to protect my attention span. That was, I think, the biggest struggle when I was trying to release the habits from that world.
0: The attention span is super crucial because that's something obviously a lot of people I work with struggle with. That's why we do so much of the focus on demand and the deep work, which you know about. And I think what you said is really important, which is when you're transitioning from a corporate job into running a business, you are often operating well above 100% capacity in your corporate job. And then you start doing that in your business as well. And then your business becomes something that you don't like. I always think of the example I said to my boss one time at my corporate job, she was like, I want you to prioritize this new thing. And I was being a little bold and a little daring. And I was like, okay, if I prioritize that, what do you want me to deprioritize? And she just gave me this look and she was like, nothing, nothing gets deprioritized. And the expectation was just, you add it on to your workload and you just make it happen. And I contrast that to business ownership where I'm like, let's stop doing that to ourselves because it's torture. And it, like you said, leads to burnout. So what are your thoughts on all of that?
1: I can absolutely relate to that. And I don't know if it was always somebody expecting me to do it in that way, or if I just thought that everybody expected me to do it in that way, but I said yes to everything and I never gave myself permission to change my mind or to deprioritize things. It was just layering on more and more until the weight became so much that I collapsed as a human. I had to completely rebuild myself.
0: Yeah, I was just thinking of this quote from the book, Burnout. They talk about they're like, studies have shown that we need 42% of our time resting and that can come daily or that can come like over a week or a month. And their point is 42% is not a goal. They're like 42% is the amount of rest that you need and you will either take it willingly or you will take it unwillingly because your body will make you do that. And I'm like, it sounds like that's exactly what you're talking about with like the chronic health issues is your body was just like, you need 42% rest. You're not doing it on your own. I guess I'll step in. So what are your, what's your take on that?
1: Absolutely. And when I was doing research for my book, I talked to a lot of people with stories like this where their body pulled the emergency brake because they wouldn't slow down. And it can happen in a variety of ways. I was in my early 30s told that I needed two hip surgeries to reduce the pain that I was in. Hip surgeries are for the elderly. I couldn't believe that I was told, I think I was 32, that. If I wanted to sleep, stand, walk, do anything, I needed two surgeries. It's wild. I spoke to somebody else whose body mimicked a stroke and it was an acute panic attack caused by the stress that she was putting herself under. And there were no long-term side effects. She didn't have a stroke, but even the paramedics thought that she had. Similar, I heard another story of somebody who thought they were having a heart attack because of all of the symptoms were exactly the same. Their body was screaming and they weren't listening. So it found a way to pull that emergency brake. That is such a good way of phrasing that,
0: pull the emergency brake. Everybody listening, because I know there's so many people in the peak coaching community who are here because they're like, okay, I'm at super low energy levels. Stuff is going on for me right now, right? I'm having flare-ups of a chronic illness. And what am I going to do about it? So yeah, your body is trying to tell you something. We have solutions. So let's talk about that. What made you decide then to enroll in Half Finished It In Life?
1: Yeah. So I I was going to suggest that I answer this question, whether you prompted it or not, because (laughs) the reason why I sought you out was because I was coming from a place of desperation. I was drowning in my projects. I couldn't see a light at the end of the tunnel. I couldn't see an end in sight. And I was looking for anything that I could buy, do, try that would help me get through that period of intense deliverables that I was working on without killing myself with all of the work. So you said desperation. What else were you feeling when you
0: first came to me?
1: It felt like the things that I was trying to do were impossible. I felt desperate. I felt frustrated. I felt a lack of control over my circumstances and my environment, which, you know, coming from a Leo control freak was not a comfortable place to be operating from. And I was tired. What strikes me as you're talking is i like, as business owners, We
0: are a small fraction of people on the planet who actually have complete autonomy over our lives, but how often we don't feel that we have complete autonomy over our lives, right? We feel completely out of control, even though the truth of the circumstances is we technically have control. How do you feel like you had gotten into a spot where it felt so out of control?
1: I had put a lot of weight on deadlines that, I had agreed to. And one of them was the deadline for my manuscript for my book, which I did feel like was somewhat out of my control. I had committed to a certain date and I was expected to deliver to that certain date. I had also opted into other commitments around me that I thought sounded like a good idea. But if I had been thinking about my capacity in a realistic way, I shouldn't have said yes to those things. And then I had the stuff that just I have to keep the lights on. I had my clients, I had other work. I had things that I had to do on a daily basis just to keep myself alive and there wasn't enough time for all of those things. So it was like I was beholden to these deadlines that I had said yes to and I got myself, you know, I was kind of up the creek without a paddle. I didn't know how to get through it and I was trying to truthfully my my reasons for joining the program weren't necessarily pure. I was trying to find a way to hack the system so that I could get it all done and one of the biggest learnings for me was part of the path forward is releasing some of the stuff that's just not meant to be for right now.
0: Yes, that is like one of the hardest things in the program for people. And so the way I talk about this is that I'm like, you have the 100% capacity that you have in this moment. And that's your mental capacity, your emotional capacity, and your logistical capacity. And if you are trying to push yourself beyond that, it is always going to feel terrible. And it's always going to backfire every single time. It's what we talked about. It leads to burnout. And I love that you admit that you're like, okay, but that's nice. Let me actually figure out a way to get it all done. And I'm like, rarely is that actually possible. So what were you able to let go of? And how did you convince yourself that that was worth letting go of?
1: So I had let go of a workshop series that I was designing with another coach. It turned out that it wasn't a great time of year for her either. And because I had already committed to her, I felt like I didn't have a a way to back out of it without sacrificing my integrity or her opinion of me. And when we came to the table and talked about it, it turned out, oh, we're both feeling these same things. This just isn't a great time. Let's punt this until next year. Yeah, I think I released a lot of the, the standards and expectations that I had around what done looked like for the book as well. I allowed myself to define what success looked like on a term that didn't feel natural to me. So I want everything to be done hundred percent perfectly. And that's what done looks like. And then I realized that an iteration of that would still be a significant milestone and a lot of progress and just more realistic. So I was able to release some commitments, but I was also able to redefine what a successful milestone looked like for the completion of that bigger project.
0: Oh, that's so big, right? Is lowering your expectations. And and I'm even cautious to use the word lowering because sometimes you're not actually lowering the final product. So you came in before I had created the bare minimum challenge, but obviously you had participated in a panel that I did at that bare minimum challenge. And the whole premise of that was what if you could actually create equal or better results with less time, effort, and energy. And it's so insane watching people be able to do that all the time. And so it's like, you're not actually sacrificing results you're not creating shitty quality that's not what we're advocating you're creating equal or better results but doing it in a way that doesn't make you suffer do you have a specific example of that
1: so i wanted to have my book done to when you're writing a book you get words down on paper and that's basically your manuscript it's a really crappy first draft and then you take it and you write it again and you revise it and you do it again and again and again and I was trying to get the manuscript to a point that felt more like a real draft rather than just a like I dumped all of these words down on paper and I'm going to fix it later. So and that was me defining what success looked like in that instance. I was trying to get ahead so that I could start with a steadier footing when I picked it back up to start revising. And I realized that it just didn't matter because nobody was reading it yet. It was just I needed to get my ideas down on paper. And I was going to accept that it's not my best writing. Nobody cares. Nobody's grading me on it. And then I was able to, I met that deadline early and I was able to say like, okay, I could use the next eight days to try to get it to where I wanted it. Or I can call this a win and take a break and enjoy the fact that I was able to get it over the finish line. And then the next iteration of it will be a different version of success and so on and so on.
0: Yeah. I love that idea of like having those milestones and like you said, freeing up eight days. And my thought immediately is like, if you use those eight days or whatever it is for the person listening with whatever project they're working on, like if you free up that time and you use it in a really energizing, rejuvenating way, how much better does your next draft become? Because you've taken the time to take care of yourself. So there's this theme that I've seen emerge when you talk about the work that we've done together is When you have conversations and those are either conversations with people where you actually have them out loud or you make a decision, you have a conversation with yourself, you find out I'm
1: like really
0: struggling to phrase this. What I'm getting at is that when you were talking at the bare minimum challenge and you were talking about that guy and you were like, I need to push a deadline. And then he emailed you out of the blue and was like, hey, I can't meet. Yes, (laughs) do you remember?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Okay, tell me about that phenomenon. Okay. So in that instance, I had acknowledged, this is something I need to release. But there was still this, the voice inside my brain that's been there for most of my adult life. It's like, no, people won't like you if you tell them no, came into the picture. And, you know, was just whispering a little bit in my ear. And I needed to own the action of reaching out to him to let him know that I didn't have the capacity to do this right now. It just so happened that when I was sharing this on that call that he emailed me in that moment, and it was like some cosmic connection of he could tell I was thinking about him and he also needed to release it. So there's two thoughts I have on this. One, if you're feeling the need to release something, it's possible. And you know, I dare say likely that the other person might be feeling similarly. So just be honest and upfront as quickly as possible to gauge that. And then the second is When you have something to release, I physically scheduled it on my project plan as something that I needed to do because otherwise I wasn't going to do it and I was just going to leave it as an open loop. When you know that something's not working, actually just make the decision, okay, this is something that my action I'm going to take is to release this and this is when I'm going to do it. Otherwise it just kind of sits in your head and rolls around. I'll give another example too. I decided this last May to take a break from the book for the rest of the year. It is September 16th. I just sent out an email yesterday to the people in my community who have pre-ordered my book to tell them, Hey, it was supposed to be published now. And FYI, it's not going to be coming until next year. However many months that was three, four months that I have just had that rolling around in my head. I knew I had already released it, but not taking the step to communicate it left space that it was taking up inside my brain, inside my energy. And it was a Rolling thought week to week, I got to send out that email. I got to send out that email. And finally yesterday, I was like, I have to release this and close this loop." Once I did that, I immediately felt relief, and I didn't even realize I was carrying it around.
0: That's a really important lesson for everybody to hear, is the unmade decisions or the made decisions that you haven't executed on, have a way of taking up that mental and emotional bandwidth? So the questions I would ask yourself if you're listening is, why? Right. What am I afraid of the reaction being? And why is that scary for me? So then you can start looking at your emotions. And how will I feel on the other side of that? And really going to that place of like, oh, I'll feel relief. I'll feel free. I'll feel like I have more energy to focus on other things. And so it sounds like that happened in the timeline and needed to happen. And there are things that can be done to speed that up.
1: I'll add too that I feel like our imaginations are like fire, and that if you give them a lot of oxygen, they run wild. So the more time you have to think through, oh my gosh, what might this mean if I do this? What will people think? What will happen? The story you tell yourself grows bigger and bolder and crazier and less connected to reality the longer that you wait. When I sent out this email, like I was a little bit afraid of, oh, will people judge me? I've promised something that I'm not delivering on yet. I have gotten dozens of responses from people saying, Thank you so much for telling me your update. I'm so proud of you. I can't wait to see what's coming. Thank you for your transparency and your vulnerability. You're so inspiring. I can't wait to hear more. Nothing but positive affirmations from people. And I'm like, what? why did I think that this group of people who invested in me and my idea would care if it was done now or next year or the year after that? They just care about me and my idea and giving it that space and too long of a runway. Let's yourself detach from those realities. And that's just another way that we drive ourselves crazy.
0: I love this example. I'm like, yeah, we like imagine this like mob coming after you being like, you promised us a book about personal growth. How dare you take time for yourself, right? I'm like, that's the beauty of being a coach is I'm like, everything that you do, your job is to be in integrity. And so I'm like, the thought that popped up when you were talking about that is I'm like, people love seeing people live in integrity. Nothing is more inspiring to people than watching other people live in their own integrity. And so it's like you gave your community that gift by being like, hey, I know how to work myself into the ground. I could totally do that. I'm not going to. And what permission slip does that give to everyone in your community?
1: Yeah. It's true. Thank you for pointing that out.
0: Yeah, for sure. I'm like, you're living in exactly in alignment with what you're saying is important to you. But I know that that was a really tough decision for you. So what else went into that decision to delay the book?
1: I'm laughing because this is connected to my perfectionism a bit, but the deciding factor was I got the book through four drafts, brought in some beta readers, and there was pretty consistent feedback across the board that it just wasn't there. And my concerns that I had with where the book was at were validated in five minutes. I was getting different feedback from my editing team. We're like, no, it's great. It's perfect. This is exactly where it needs to be. And I knew, I knew it wasn't where I wanted it. And I knew it wasn't reflective of the work that I could do. So once that was validated and allowing myself to be vulnerable and let people see where I was at, I had enough information and data points to be like, okay, you know, it was the end of May. The book was due July 1st. There was no way in five weeks, I was going to be able to turn it around in the point that I wanted to. The creative energy that it takes is a lot more than I had ever experienced. And I wasn't willing to sacrifice my life to try to get it to that point. And I knew even if I did, even if I found a way to hack the system to get it done, it wasn't going to be good because I wasn't operating from a place of rest or creativity or inspiration. I was operating on empty
0: my brain is going in so many directions. And like the first thing that I want people to hear is the goal, even in a program like Half Finished and Live, the goal is not always to finish a project against all odds. Sometimes the goal is to dump delegator delay strategically in a way that really supports you and where you're at. How long did it take you to get on board with that decision?
1: I think about two weeks. So I had some initial feedback from people and I was trying pretty hard to take the feedback, churn it out, get something else to them. And I still thought for a couple of weeks, no, I can do this. I can do this. And then I just took a step back. And I was like, I have made so many sacrifices this last year. I've skipped important social engagements. I've not been present at ones that I went to. I've shortened time with family and friends. I don't spend any time on or for myself anymore. And I just had this realization where I was like, I just don't want to do that again. So while I was going through the motions of, no, I can fix this. I can do this. It was like each day it was, you know, I took the foot off the gas a little bit more on that idea and shifted it towards, okay, well, what would it look like if I did take a break? What would happen if I did pull back on this? What are the concerns that I have? What are the implications? What are my options? and just allowed myself to start questioning, is this right? Is this what I want to do? Is this still connected to the reason behind writing this book? And my guiding principle, when I'm trying to think through decisions like this, is the source of my excitement pure? So is it coming from a pure place of I am excited, inspired, ready to go? Or is it coming from a place of I've got to get to this deadline, and then it'll feel good. The money feels really good. I use that question because oftentimes the source of my excitement or the source of my commitment is not pure. And by pure, I mean something that I feel truly energized and excited and inspired to do versus it's driven by a deadline. It's driven by a commitment. It's driven by draw for money. And, oh, if I don't do this, I won't have access to this money elsewhere and and more of a scarcity mindset. So I try to use that as my guiding principle is the reason for me doing this a pure reason or is it driven by one of these other little gremlins that live inside my brain?
0: I really like that question of the pure excitement. The thing that I think if I've been coaching a client on this is the difference between excitement and urgency or excitement and anxiety. So those can feel like they're very intertwined. And like you said, one can feel very pure and one doesn't. And so taking the time to tease it apart And sometimes what you find is you're like, oh, this is partly genuine, pure excitement, but there's also urgency. And if you can take the time to understand the urgency and calm it, then Mm -hmm. you can get into like, okay, what do I actually want to have happen here? Which it sounds like exactly what you did. Okay. So I want to revisit this idea that I think is really interesting. When you knew that your work product was not as good as it could be, and then People validated. What was that experience like for you?
1: Oh, that was hard. I'm one of those people that doesn't like anybody to read anything before it's done. Like growing up, my mom was an English teacher. Writing was always a strength of mine. I did not let her look at anything while I was writing it. I only let her look at something once it was done or close to done. I felt those same like restrictive feelings during this process of, oh my gosh, I have to be vulnerable and let people see what I've been working on. My fears were. Will they think that I'm dumb? Will they think, what the heck has she been doing this last year? This is all she's got. Will it be answering the questions that I intended it to answer? Like all of these questions and doubts and fears were all centered around like, what will they think of this? And when the feedback was not great, it wouldn't listen. It wasn't like, oh my God, Jamie, this is garbage. You got to throw this out. It was, there are still some holes. Your voice isn't strong. Some of this reads like a research paper. All stuff that I had suspected, but when I heard that validated, it didn't break me the way that I thought it would. And one of the people providing feedback was my older brother, who's an academic, and he came at it with an academic lens and really tore it to shreds. I got my notes back from him. He had 453 suggestions on my chapter one and my introduction alone, 453. And that number is burned into my brain forever. And I was sharing it with my mom and her initial reaction was, oh my gosh, are you okay? I can't believe he's being so critical. You need to tell him that that's not what's helpful. And I was like, I'm actually fine. His suggestions are are making this better. They're good ideas. And it's making me realize that I think I need more time on this and I'm okay with that. So it was this weird middle world that I lived in while I was waiting for the feedback, almost I was expecting it in some ways. I was hoping it wasn't going to be that, but I was kind of half expecting it. And then when it was validated, it was like, okay, so now's the time to, like, I'm at a crossroads. I could, I have a couple of options here, but at the end of the day, what I want is a really good book that helps people, that gives them language to navigate these tough, challenging times. And that's enjoyable to read. And right now, all of those things don't exist together. So it was it was much easier to release it when, I don't know if I answered your question, but years ago, that would have broken me. It did not break me during this, this part of my journey.
0: I think this is a really important conversation because I work with a lot of people who also identify as perfectionists. And one of the greatest fears that we have is for our work product to be rejected. Because when your work product is rejected, most people are like, our brain just short circuits straight to I'm rejected. So it's no longer about a book. It's about, I'm not okay. I am a source of shame for myself. And so I really love hearing about your experience about being like, okay, there's me. And separate from me is my work product of this book. And being able to distinguish, okay, they have feedback and it's not what I wanted to hear, but I also am in agreement with them about it. And being willing to take that and then make an intentional decision based on that feedback, I think is so crucial and not letting that completely shut you down. And I think what's so interesting is like your mom, I'm sure super well-intended, is like kind of reinforcing that idea of like, you're not okay because you've received constructive feedback.
1: Yeah. And it's funny because I was almost gaslighting myself because I was accepting the feedback on my editing team side where they were telling me it was good and I was believing them because there was part of me that wanted to hear that. But it was living in misalignment with, I knew it wasn't there, but I allowed myself to think, well, maybe it is because they told me what I want to hear. And then when I got the other feedback from my beta readers, it was almost this relief of like, oh, I'm not crazy. This isn't where it needs to be. And I realized that I was so grateful to them for that feedback because truly that's what I needed to be able to sign the permission slip of, okay, this is not happening right now.
0: Yeah. I really commend you for that. I think that that's very big. And I love hearing that that wouldn't be what happened before, but that clearly is a testament to your personal growth that it's that you could handle it this time. And again, I'll just say like I work with, again, a lot of people who feel like they are terrified to put their work product out into the world. and so. I think a lot of people come to me and look at me and are like, tell me my work product's good. And I'm like, maybe it's not. I'm like, I don't know your industry, but like maybe your work product's not good. Maybe you're right. Maybe it's not. And what if that's not a problem? What if you just need to improve your work product? And so just giving that to, as a reminder to anybody listening is sometimes your work product's not good and that's okay. And not making that mean something terrible about you. Let's transition back with to Happiness to Done Live. So I'm curious, we've talked a lot about your experience before the program, and then a lot of what we've talked about happened after the program. What else do you think is important for people to know about your experience in the program and then the ripple effect of that in your life afterwards?
1: So I think the most important thing is to just acknowledge that the program is a framework that you can use and mold to work for you but it's just important to try it and to see, okay, well, what about this still feels hard? And is this a me thing that, you know, it doesn't fit me and I just need to make a tweak to it? Or is this because I'm resisting change that might actually help me? So I think that's the first thing. And when I think about introducing tools to, you know, my clients, my friends, myself, whoever, I always just think of it as, like language and ideas of here's a new idea, here's some new language to be able to better understand what's happening, better communicate with people around me and better support myself. So in this instance, being able to assign language to things of, here's what the priority is, here's where it's not, here's the things that I'm going to dump, delegate, delay, here are the things that I'm going to commit to, really attaching the labels and the language to it was something that was really empowering. And then the framework is just helpful for somebody who has a lot of balls that are being juggled in the air at any given time. It gives me visibility into my capacity. And I'm still a chronic underestimator of time. I always underestimate how long something's gonna take me. I am getting better, but this allows me to hold myself accountable to those estimations and to continue to make tweaks to the reality of the situation. It also gave me visibility into... How many breaks and how much space I need between things, because sometimes I do, I don't estimate the time correctly. I need more space in my calendar so that there's a little bit of free flowing time in case something takes me longer, or in case I need some time to just creatively wander, as I call it. If I'm you know writing something or exploring something or scrolling on LinkedIn, I I need that time available on my calendar. So I think those were some of the biggest takeaways, and then. The most helpful one I think for me too was being able to take this and use this in other areas of my life. So it's not just something that allows me to get projects done at work, but it's more of a mindset for thinking about everything that I wanna work on in my life. So I, I mentioned at the beginning of the call that I bought a house in the mountains and I'm renovating it. My partner looked at me a few weeks ago and was like, you know, there's so many projects that we have to do on this house. We got to stay organized on it. And I was like, yes, I'm in complete agreement. Meanwhile, I already have a project plan built out with all the stuff that we're going to be working on. Yes. He was like, do you think we should think about buying a software, a project management software to manage all of this stuff? And I was like, buy a software. I am your project management software. Do you want to see my spreadsheet? I love this
0: so much. (laughs) That's great.
1: That's fantastic. um, You can use it for a variety of things. It's just, it's a mindset shift. It's a visibility tool. It's a planning tool. It's meant to make you have more space and have more capacity. And I think that once you allow yourself to really acknowledge everything that's on your plate, really acknowledge your priorities, really acknowledge how you want to apply them and what you're willing to release, it just use the word suffer before you don't have to suffer your way through this process. Oh, I know the term that you use that has never left me is white knuckling your way through. That was me before I white knuckled my way through everything. And now I'm just gently cruising. That is so massive.
0: What does that mean to you that just that last bit white knuckling versus gently cruising? What does that feel like emotionally on a day-to-day basis?
1: Well, one thing that, because I'm a, I'm an evidence person. I like having evidence and information and measurement. One thing that has changed a lot, I have a Fitbit that measures my sleep quality. My sleep quality has completely changed and gone up in the best ways since I've started releasing a lot of the stress that I had lingering around how I was approaching things. So that's one way that I measurably saw a difference in my life. Grumpier, more rigid, more tired, more tired not feeling like myself. I get sick more when I'm operating with that white knuckle mentality. And I just feel lighter and more like myself and more fun and rested because I'm sleeping better when I, when I'm in that cruising mode, you know, I have to cry at least once per episode.
0: <laughs> <laughs> i like, this just warms my heart. Like that's incredible. That is such a huge shift. And I love what you said about more myself. And I think that I experienced this with so many clients. I'm like, we're so far detached from ourselves and we're so far detached from the lives we actually want to be living. And the reason we do that, we're like, I have to get to some imaginary future place where I'll feel okay then. I'm like, just feel okay now. Yeah. That's what you've done is you just allowed yourself to feel better now. You don't have to delay that feeling of relief. I want to re-emphasize two things that you said. These two words really jumped out at me. So you said visibility. I love that terminology. And you're right. It's like getting the full bird's eye view of what's going on in your life. And that's your time, your focus, your priorities, and your commitment, and being like, okay, what's really going on here? What's the truth of what's happening? And seeing what are my intentions versus my execution. And one thing I've been teaching a lot in the program recently is I'm like, if there's a gap between your intention and your execution, most people make that mean something terrible about themselves, right? Like, I'm a horrible person. I'll always be a procrastinator. I'm a failure, yada, yada. But I'm like, that's just data. Why is there a gap between what you say you want and what you actually have? And what if we can just do the work one step at a time to bridge that gap between those two things? Because like you said, I'm like, nobody wants to walk around grumpy and over capacity and not feeling like themselves, but we just have to detangle. Why are you there? And how can we get you feeling more like yourself? And then the other word that you said that really jumped out at me was accountability. And I use the word truth a lot, like telling yourself the truth, telling yourself the truth about your time, for example. And that is a work in progress for most people and it takes a lot of practice, but it's a way to, like you said, hold yourself accountable without beating yourself up, but just being like, huh, why is there a gap here? So what are your thoughts on all that?
1: No, I, I think that's absolutely accurate. And the the reason why people don't follow through on intentions is because they don't have the tools in place to make sure that they're going to get to that point so it's not even just about acknowledging the gap it's like okay well if I were to get there what specifically would I need to put in my backpack and actually acknowledging and listing out the things that you need in order to get there and deciding is this realistic to do it in this way is there a different way to do it but the point is to hold yourself accountable to yes I have these intentions but like what are the steps that I have to take to get there and at least for me when I'm in a place where I'm like rapid firing, moving across a lot of things. I don't actually take, I have all of the goals and the destinations on my radar, but I don't sit down and think through like what are the steps to get there look like? And when there are 10 different things firing in different directions at once, you can't.
0: Yeah, so it's the slowing down. It's the slowing down to speed up. That's what I always say in the program. And that can be hard because people are like, I don't have time. My sister had this really good analogy. She's like, it's like if you're stuck underwater and you're attached to something, and you're clawing to try to swim to the surface, but you're attached to something, you have to take the time to bend down, unattach yourself, and then swim up freely. And a lot of people are so overwhelmed that they're like, I can't take the time to stop. But like we said, life will stop you, whether you like it or not. As we get to the end, what advice do you have for
1: anyone who has joined the program but hasn't yet started? Dedicate time to actually do the exercises each week. If you fall behind, it's so hard to get back on the saddle. And if you just trust the process and you can make tweaks to it as you go, if you need to, but just trust the format and the tools work and just do them even when it's hard. And you'll start to see that at a minimum, you're going to gain visibility. And then if you want to change the way that you're operating, you can but just having that visibility alone is really empowering. And you can't do that unless you follow the process to look at the landscape of what you're working on and what's taking your energy.
0: I love that advice. I'm like, sometimes people need to hear it from someone other than me. It's like, just do it. (laughs) Just do what
1: Christina says. (laughs) It's not hard in the sense of like, you need a degree in something to be able to complete it. It's just hard in the sense that it's uncomfortable and you just have to set aside time. That's it.
0: Yeah. And I'm doing some teaching at the one day kickoff about like the time that it requires in the program and how to make that a non-issue because I'm like, when we get down to it, it's really never about time. Like you said, your brain might tell you, you don't have time to do it, but really your brain just doesn't want to deal with the discomfort of talking about your negative emotions and digging into everything and letting go of things. So I'm super glad that you mentioned that. Where can people follow up with you?
1: If people want to learn more about me or hear about updates from my eventual book, my website is jamie-ellis.com, J-A-I-M-E hyphen E-L-L-I-S.com. And would also love to connect with people on LinkedIn if they look me up, Jamie Ellis.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much for joining today. Pleasure talking to you. Likewise. Thank you for listening to the Half Finished to Done podcast. If you're ready to become a self-assured repeat project finisher, the best place to work with me is in my eight-week group coaching program, Half Finish to Done, live. You'll leave our time together with one finished project and the skills you need to finish any project, personal or business, in the future. Just head to peakcoaching.co slash for your next step. Can't wait to work with you.